Father, just as we look at um, your word together these next few minutes, Father, we pray that you would just give us open hearts, that your spirit would work in us. The Lord, you would talk to us about what we need to hear, Father, Um, be it through words that come from my mouth or directly into our hearts, Father, some other way. And and Lord, I pray that what I say will honor you above all things, Father, Um, that you will use things said and not said for your glory and for the building of your people, Father, alone. Father, we thank you that we can worship you, and we pray you'll be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Shirley Hayward's a very nice woman, by the way. If you ever do get a chance to speak to her, <laughs> um, just won't, won't be at church this morning. Um, I, uh, I came across something, I read something this week, I'd like to read to you as we start. Um, it said, if you had a bank account that credited you £86,000 every single morning that carried no balance over from day to day, allowed you to keep no cash in your account, and every evening cancelled whatever part of the £86,000 you didn't spend, what would you do with it? Would you not, every morning, draw out every last penny of that £86,000? Wouldn't you use every penny of it to your advantage? Well, the writer says, we have such a bank, have such a currency, its name is time. Every single morning, you are credited with 86,400 seconds. Every night, it rules off as lost whatever you or I fail to invest for good purpose. It carries over no balances. It allows no overdrafts. Each day opens a new account to you. If you or I fail to use each day's deposits, the loss is ours. There is no going back. There is no drawing against tomorrow. We're thinking about use of our time and management of our time these two weeks. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but as I get older, I realise that my relationship with time, uh, it changes. Not only does it begin to speed up a tiny bit, which is a little bit worrying, um, but actually I find myself, as I creep past the midpoint of life, assuming I die at 80, um, actually my decisions and influences and thoughts are far greatly uh, influenced, sorry, by actually how much time I have left. In my 20s, I found myself thinking, plenty of time. In the next 10 years, maybe I'll do that. And now I find myself thinking, goodness, (laughs) it's not looking good the next 40 years. Anyway, and actually, for the most part, I found that quite a good process in my own life because it sharpened my thinking and helped me perhaps be a bit more effective, I hope. Psalm 90, verse 12, uh, says this, It says to God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is saying, Lord, tell me how long I've got left. Help me to know my mortality so that I live with wisdom. The most foolish people are those that say, I'll do it tomorrow. The most wise people say, I may not have a tomorrow, so I'll do it today. As we continue to look at this subject of time management, uh, I believe we need to be people of wisdom and humility this morning because this is a sensitive subject. I think this is perhaps the most sensitive subject you will probably ever hear preached from the front of a church. Why? Because how you use your time is deeply personal. Every choice you've ever made affects what you do with those 86,000 minutes and some of us here know that we waste them and it's very easy to build a wall up and say yeah but what can I do? I work there, I do this, I do that. I've got no control. And so I urge all of us, myself included, to not defend how we use that time. 
but actually in humility take the challenge to consider how we might use those times that God has given us better. And if you're a Christian this morning, ultimately you should be wanting to know how you can use your time for the honour and glory of God himself. And so a couple of questions to ponder uh, as I talk away. Number one, do I spend enough time with God each day? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, as it says in the Bible? Do I give God my first and my best? Or does he get my worst and my last? As it says in the Old Testament, to give the very first to God. Are my priorities correct in my life? Is God number one? Uh, Do I serve him? Do I prioritize that? Is my family high enough up? Or my work and finance is a little bit too high up the list than they ought to be. Zoe reminded us of the, earlier of the importance of putting God first. And actually, I spoke to two people um, in preparation for this talk. Two people who are very busy, who work in London, have busy jobs, responsibility, have family active in their local church, and have outside activities outside of those three areas or four areas. And I put them this question. I said, when you feel you don't have enough time, when you feel stressed and under pressure... In your opinion, how much of that would you say is because you don't put God first or it's just life or you have a disorganized character, uh, calendar? And they both, without hesitation, said, it's when I don't put God first. And if you do nothing this morning, listen to that answer. Make space for the King of Kings every morning before you use one of his seconds that he's graciously given you for what you or I want to do. Um, I know you're all experts in American football and you all know the name Tom Landry. No, not I until about three days ago. Anyway, he's going to appear behind me, hopefully. Um, this is Tom Landry. He's actually a very, I'm now an expert. Uh, he's a very, back in the 50s, he's a brilliant um, American football coach. Changed lots about how they uh, played the game, lots of plays and all that sort of thing. And he was asked why he was so successful as an American football coach. I know we're using football with a very small F because it isn't football. It's like a strange version of rugby, but we won't get into that um, in case you're an American secretly. So he was asked, why are you so successful as a, rugby, uh, as a football coach? And this was, his reply in nine, this was his reply. He said, in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. I determined my priorities for my life. God first, family and then football. I read this week that the famous missionary, David Livingstone, uh, who spent most of his life in Africa preaching the gospel and serving over there, did you know that his body is buried in the UK? But did you know his heart is buried in Africa? Under a tree, I'm told, somewhere. And if you look to look at your priorities or my priorities, what we spend most of our time doing with those 86,400 minutes, if we were to die this morning... Where would they bury your heart? Where would it be put? Where would it be put? And more frighteningly, because you might say, well, it'd be at church, obviously, because I'm in a connect group and I help there. Where would your children bury your heart? Where would your parents bury your heart? Where would your friends bury your heart? Where would your wife or husband bury your heart? Because they may have a very different answer to your use of your time and my use of my time. I'm convinced that I have work-life church balance down. But just occasionally I'm reminded at home that it's not quite as uh, balanced as, we might, as I might think from time to time. 
In fact, if you were feeling very brave this morning, you might even ask that question to your nearest and dearest and say, be blunt with me. If I died today, where would you bury my heart? And actually take the challenge on the chin. So how can we manage our time better? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, I'm not referring to anybody here. Um, there's, an, uh, there's always an elephant in the room when you talk about time, isn't there? People think, well, hang on a minute. Some of you are already thinking, possibly, well, it's all very well talking about priorities and time management, but I've got to go to work. You know, I've got to bring the kids up. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Absolutely. The horrible truth about life is that, yes, you're given 86,400 seconds every single day at 12.01, but most of them are spoken for, aren't they, by the time you've got out of bed. And sometimes we feel, obviously, that we can't do anything about a massive chunk of our day. But there is actually only to a point that you're powerless for the use of your time. There's much that we can change about what we can't change. It's up to us what boundaries we set in our lives, isn't it? It's up to us when we answer work emails that ping at half past ten at night or half past seven or five o'clock. We could wait till the end of the family movie to answer that email. We could wait until um, everyone's gone to bed to do a bit of work for half an hour. If we're out with our husband and wife, we don't have to take the work phone with us. We could even leave it on silent in our pockets. Live off to the toilet and answer it if you really want to, if it's really urgent. But maybe we can say, actually, this is not work. And it's not invading my time with my wife or my husband or my children or whoever I'm spending my time with. Do you have to spend that extra hour at the office? Sometimes. But maybe sometimes we stay the extra hour because everybody else is and I don't want to look bad. And I want to keep up because it might affect my chances for something down the road. We can't change where those minutes are spent, but we can change our ambition for life. Do we spend more time on certain activities because we're chasing something? Because we're chasing status or even riches? There's nothing wrong with position. There's nothing even wrong with money. It only becomes bad when it turns your heart and your head. Because when your head and heart is turned for those things, then you give all your time towards it. And guess what? Everybody else suffers. You can change how you feel about what you're forced to do every day. Taking about work particularly, uh, to quote Gwyneth Paltrow, you could consciously uncouple your sense of self-worth from what you do uh, for however many hours a day. It's true for a lot of people that work is strongly attached to that sense of self-worth. Even volunteering outside of work can give you that buzz of feeling important. It's good. It's exciting to feel busy. It's nice to feel like you're the important one. It's good to feel like you're the one that makes decisions. Promotion position can be very alluring. It can make you feel very good about yourself. And if we're not careful, we can be people that are getting our sense of self and value by what we do, rather than from the two places God has said you should get your value from. As Christians, we know without a shadow of a doubt, although we sometimes forget, that our value is found in two places and two places alone. The first is in the book of Genesis when we read that God created human beings in his own image. I matter not because of what I do or don't do, but because of the fact that God has created me. Our second place where we find our value and our significance is at the cross where Christ gave his life for us, no matter what we've done. 1 Corinthians 6 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God 
with your bodies. That's a whole chapter about how we uh, honour God by not committing sexual sin. But that point is you're special to God. God has bought you at a price. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter writes, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're special in the sight of God because of what he has done for us. And then finally, 1 John 3 See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we all have this hope in him. Uh, sorry, all of us have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. Our value comes from the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life that we might live forever, not in the status or job title or wage packet we get. Ask yourself this question. Do you do all that you do because it makes you feel important, because it makes you feel valuable and valued in other people's eyes? You want to hide into nothing. There's always a job above you. There's always another wage bracket to get into and you will never quite get the satisfaction you're looking for in the book of ecclesiastes solomon uh, who wrote it um unashamedly rich and privileged as he was at this point searches for pleasure that's what some people have a go at and in chapter 2 verse 1 of ecclesiastes he says this i said to myself come now i will test you with pleasure and find out what is good Ten chapters, sorry, and as that chapter unfolds, he just recounts how he reaches the summit of achievement over and over again. And his conclusions are damning, damning the very things that we all chase from time to time. He goes on to say, going down to verse 11 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, but also this proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. All the, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Ten chapters later, in the very same book, 
It's almost my favourite book of Ecclesiastes because it's so depressing. I quite like it, I don't know why. Um, But at the end of the book, having just dashing everything, rubbish, waste of time, did nothing for me. He gets to the very end in chapter 12 and in verse 1 of chapter 12 he says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. In other words, hurry up and make the right choice before you get old. And then he says at the end of that same chapter, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. The human condition is the constant search for fulfilment. Zacchaeus had more money than he knew what to do with, yet when he met Jesus Christ in the flesh, he gave most of it away. So how can we make the most of our time? Check how much of your value is bound up in your job. Work smarter. Actually, I'll tell you this. I came across this week the biggest piece of hypocrisy I've ever seen in all of my life. And I'm quite old. Red Bull. You know Red Bull. The people that make a heart attack in a can. Sorry, an energy drink. Um, they, they fill it with so much sugar and chemicals and, and caffeine that basically it's just killing you if you drink too much of it. If you drink too much of it, I'm really sorry, stop before you do yourself in. Anyway, Red Bull, whose tagline is essentially, drink a can of this and you'll be able to have an artificial boost of energy for a few more hours so you can work longer, work harder and collapse later. Even they, on Twitter this week, did a whole promotion about going home from work on a Friday at four o'clock because they recognise that people need to rest and work differently. And I thought, you hypocrites. But that's just my own beef. And I did look at their advice. It pains me to say it. It's pretty good. (laughs) Anyway, this is some of the things Red Bull suggests for working smarter. They talk about having a positive morning routine. We would say quiet time with the King of Kings, but... Theirs is less good than ours, obviously. Uh, They say, don't read every email. Be a cutthroat. Deal with it, delegate it, or delete it. Set personal goals with rewards. Take a walk when you need to think. Focus on only three projects at a time. Keep your desk and your room tidy. Actually, I better underline that one. Hang on. There we are. Set reminders. My phone goes off all the time. I think, oh, what now? Anyway... Set reminders so you don't forget the small stuff. And the final one, delegate. I had a whole paragraph on that that I've deleted because I didn't want to offend anybody. But I wonder if sometimes we don't delegate because we're so bound up in wanting to be the one that fixes everything, that gets the pat on the back for doing such a good job. Actually, it takes a lot of humility to delegate because it's just kind of saying, I'm, I can't do it on my own, I need all of you guys as well. Maybe you need to delegate more. Anyway. Fortunately, fundamentally, should I say, time management begins with a question. It begins with a question. What matters most to me? That's a scary question, actually. It's a scary question that reaches far deeper into your soul than you might realise. Because what you're asking there is, what am I chasing? What's my number one in my life? What's my priorities? What am I prioritising and why? Last week we quoted Jesus, who said, seek first the kingdom of God, and so often even his people don't. Somebody said if we put money and things as equal to, or higher to God's kingdom, in the long run we will achieve neither or neither. Proper time management actually is about scheduling in first what matters most. We cannot manage our time without defining first what matters to us the most. 
If we don't schedule what matters first, then everything that comes in second will just push what matters most out of the window. I'm reminded of the interaction between Jesus and Judas in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. They're at the home of Mary and Martha. They're having dinner. It says, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour, verse 2. Martha served while Lazarus was among them, those reclining at the table. Remember, Lazarus had died and Jesus had already risen him from the dead. Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And Jesus isn't saying there that the poor don't matter, that they're not a priority. But what he's saying there is that in that precise moment, worship mattered higher on the priority list. If we don't schedule what matters in most, it will get knocked aside. He's not, so somebody once said, there's never enough time to do everything. There's not enough time to do everything. But there's always enough time to do what's important. And so to do that, we must plan We must plan what's important rather than what's urgent. How many people fill up their diary with urgent things rather than important things? And that's a fundamental difference. Don't fill it with what needs to get done next. Fill it with what matters most to you. I used to have a to-do list. I won't ask for hands up, but some of you here still have to-do lists. Bless you. I've been released from the tyranny of to-do lists. It's the most wonderful liberation I've ever experienced in my life. And the problem with my to-do list, I realized very quickly was um, I only ever to do the top bit. I only got the first three things done. And all the big stuff I wanted to think about or plan for or research was always at the bottom because that wasn't a daily task. Some of you may understand where I'm going with this. So I only did the first three or four things. And it just, they were finished. And the next day, another load of three or four things that were slightly less important but weekly tasks would go in there. And so one day, I did this. And I thought, I'm done with a to-do list. And do you know what I do now? I schedule everything in my diary. And it doesn't matter if it's small or massive. It goes in my diary. It might be making a phone call, writing an email, visiting somebody, preparing for Christmas, whatever, whatever, whatever. I schedule it in. And do you know what? I don't think I've ever been as organized as I feel at the moment. You may disagree, but I feel very organized. And it means I actually have space to think about what's important And for me, in this particular role, sometimes what's important is planning for big things and thinking longer term. We must plan with a goal. Ask yourself the question, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a good dad or a good mum or a good husband or a good wife? Don't leave it to chance. Schedule it in. Write it in. We're going out Thursday night. I'm not going to that scout meeting. I'm going out with you. That's what we're doing. You want to be healthier, schedule it in. You want to chill out, schedule it in. It's okay. Don't think that work's up there and that's up there and these are down here. Schedule all those things is important. In fact, scrap that. Think wider. Think, who am I supposed to be? Who do my children need me to be? 
Ask that question. That's a frightening question. I hate that sort of question. I don't know. In fact, let me scrubble that out because uh, that's far too complicated for me to think about. But who do my children need me to be? I might be happy with my schedule, but are they happy with it? Well, my wife or my husband, who do I need to be for them? Do I need to schedule things in so that I'm a better husband, a better man? In fact, let's make it even further. Who does God want me to be? Who is God calling you to be? What is God calling you to do? It may not be quit your job and go and work in the mission field. That's not everybody's calling. But it doesn't matter where you work. God is calling you for something. At work, at church, at home. But you need to make space in your diary to listen. You need to actually ask that question. What I should be adding to my schedule are things that grow me. Not just in terms of my skills or leisure or rest, but spiritually as well. Bill Hybels, uh, uh, leader of a, a big church in America, does lots of stuff on leadership, uh, tells a story of a guy that came up to him one Sunday morning and said, Pastor Bill, that's how they refer to him over there, um, Pastor Bill, such a great sermon, and to think I almost didn't come. And Bill Hybels went, what? He said, are you kidding? You're telling me that church isn't scheduled into your planning and your thinking at the beginning of a month. It's far more American than I'm doing it. I've got somebody sound a bit angry. But um, he said, are you kidding? Are you kidding me that this morning you woke up, flipped a coin and decided whether you would or wouldn't come to worship with God's people and be blessed at church with your brothers and sisters? Are you kidding me? That's how he put it. I would never put it quite as strongly as that. But the point he was trying to make was, if it's so important to be worshipping together then it should be the first thing on your diary, shouldn't it? Or on your calendar, not kind of left to chance. And shouldn't that be applied to many other things as well? So let's take a look at our week, our planning, and ask one extremely important question. In fact, let's not do that. Can you put up the picture, Gavin, of the uh, calendar? So there we are, it's blank. Some of you can cheer. Won't be blanking about uh, when you get home, I'm sure. So just in your mind here, just think of your week to come. Just kind of mentally fill it in with two or three or four things per day that you know you're going to be doing. Things you have to do, things you, you want to do, things that you'd like to do. Just fill all that in. I'll give you a moment. Okay, good. All filled in. Yeah, good. Put the pen away. Fantastic. Now, fundamentally, when it comes to time management, this is the question you should ask of your diary and my diary. If you were to wipe that clean... And you said to God, here, what would God put in it? How would God fill it in? Would you have the same things that you've put in or I put in? Would it look quite a lot different? I challenge you and me this week to start your week and say, God, what do you want in it? When you go off to work, say, God, what do you want to do today at work? When you go off to that scout meeting or whatever, Lord, what do you want me to say when I get there? Involve God in everything. Put him first. So let's come back to those questions I asked at the beginning. Do we spend enough time with the King of Kings? Do we give him our first and best? Are our priorities correct? Or are we still going after what the world tells us matters most? Rather than what God tells us matters most. There is no silver bullet for time management. Sorry. But what there is is the right priority. And that starts with the king himself. What would God have you put in your week? What's your calling from the king? 
start with what's important rather than what needs doing. And I don't think we'll go far wrong. Shall we pray? Lord God, I just want to lift up all these thoughts. These last two weeks, I'll be thinking about time. And Lord, I'm aware, actually, um, that it is a very, very difficult, perhaps even a touchy subject. And Lord, I mean it when I, when I said earlier that I believe this is probably the most personal subject to speak of. Because Lord, actually, time management runs over into marriage health runs over into how good we are as parents, Father, runs over into even our spiritual life. So, Father God, this one thing, whilst it may seem, I don't know, not the sort of thing we should do on a Sunday morning, perhaps, but Lord touches on every aspect of the human life and even the human condition itself when we think of value and self-worth. Father, you've given us enough time each day. The Bible is clear about that. When you made the world, you said it was good you didn't say it was short of time it was the right time Lord I pray that you would challenge your people to examine themselves to think about what matters the most what you would have us do who we need to be to our family our friends even our neighbours that Father God we would start putting into our diary what is important rather than what just needs to keep getting done Lord time is short it walks and then it runs and then it sprints and then it's over Father God, help us to number our days that we would have hearts of wisdom. And I lift all this to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.